0: All right. Thanks for listening while we took that short break here at Revolution Radio FreedomSlips.com. And yeah, we're gonna get back to your host. Welcome back. This is the live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett. Back for more outside the box talk. Hopefully, nothing we say this hour will be illegal in several European countries, like the virtually the last entire hour was. But we will be ruffling some feathers, so let's get to it. But first, let me mention that anybody who likes this kind of radio and wants to hear it more often and let it continue should subscribe or help sustain the show by going to truthjihad.com, and you can click on the Patreon link to subscribe, or you could just uh, add something to the PayPal collection plate and keep Truth Jihad Radio broadcasting so let's get to it. This hour, Kat McGuire has just given a talk on Cyber Polygon. Mm. I think that was last night. What is Cyber Polygon? Well, it's a World Economic Forum uh, simulation, apparently, role-playing a cyber security attack by rogue actors. And apparently, if it went live, we could have the banking system down, the communication system down, everything goes down, it could make uh, COVID look like nothing, and oh boy, we know how they like to take advantage of catastrophes, so I don't know, I'm not betting that this is going to happen, but I'm certainly keeping my eyes open, so let's hear the details from Kat McGuire, welcome Kat, how are you?
1: Hey Kevin, hi, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, good to have you back, uh, do you have a dog in the background?
1: No, it's my neighbors. It's like get inside and be quiet. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, my cat everyone. is
0: being really good. Muse is—he's got these <laughs> jingles or uh, some bells on his neck, but he hasn't been ringing them tonight. So hopefully that dog will shut up too, and the humans can talk. So <laughs> let's let's talk about this uh, great reset and the cyber polygon drill. It it does remind us of drills gone live in the past, you know, before 9-11, that list of 46 drills related to 9-11, of which maybe 25 plus were happening on 9-11 itself. They telegraphed it, they practiced it, and then they used the drills to carry it out. And similar things have happened with similar um, events, uh, including COVID. There were these COVID drills. There was lockstep back in like 2010. And what was the one in October of 2019, Kat? That was Event 201. Yes, Event 201. So so when they drill a disaster, you never know when the disaster might just happen, and it might be related to the drill, and it might even be part of the program that the drill is also part of.
1: Right. Um, so I gave a presentation, did a lot of research on this, and um, I knew about this, uh, this Cyber Polygon thing coming up July 9th that's this July 9th, the World Economic Forum is doing another uh, simulation. And that seemed really too close for comfort. And what I really think about is, are these things going to be live? Because I know the 9-11 drills, um, the um, July 7th, 7-7, the London bombing, and then the Boston Marathon bombing. So Who knows any time they do these drills, these simulations, when it might go live. And I was thinking about being away from home. And when I realized that, it's like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't. And so I just started poking around and looking at it. And it's like, oh, my God, I've heard these other things. I know about them, Event 201 and um, Dark Winter. But when I really started trying to inform myself about what's coming up July 9th with their simulation – Um, I I just opened up many rabbit holes and decided to share it with the public. So um, I gave my presentation um, on that. I have it online, and, um, of course, you can uh, share that information in your show notes. But what I found was um, in looking at... The history of these simulations is, as we have suspected, there is quite a bit of um, continuation, many of the same people, um, many of the same scripts. And um, so it's really um, um, if we look at the history, and that was my point once I really uh, got into it. And see the history, you can start connecting the dots, and maybe just maybe by reading all these tea leaves, figure out what they have in mind for July 9th.
0: yeah so um, so what what the, what could that be uh, it, what well, what do they say they're doing, and then why what do you think that they might actually be doing
1: well, attendant with that is um, I also looked at the um the history of coronavirus in the making so the the simulations are what if a uh, a pandemic of sorts were to happen but since 1999 they have actually been introducing legislation and policy to pave the groundwork for an actual coronavirus to uh, happen and how how to bring that about and how to set up the groundwork for it. For example, in 1999, the CDC um, drafted uh, for 50 states um, proposed legislation that they could use for um, how they can counter any kind of crisis. um, What kind of Draconian legislation they came up with were responses to um, epidemics, pandemics, and bioterrorism. And they even back in 1999, 20 years ago, had legislation for U.S. states to... Um, Um, Put forth for forced vaccinations that early. They were already thinking about it. So we have actual laws that we can look at. And I'll just name a few of them. That one was called the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act. But of course, we have the Patriot Act. There's um, provisions in there that... um, um, help expand biological weapons a statute that gave um, the United States government immunity from violating its own bio- biological weapons laws. So I know that one is dear to your heart, uh, Kevin. But some of the others that have been building up over the years um, are Project BioShield Act uh, public readiness and emergency preparedness act. And we know it's not for us, the public. It's how are they going to handle it? And then the last one, um, was in 2021, um, the um, or 2020, excuse me, PREPA, um, which the U.S. Congress provides, um, uh, liability immunity for activities related to medicinal, uh, medical countermeasures against COVID-19. So concomitant with all the uh, simulations, um, are these uh, legislations and policies in the making. So um, what we have with the simulations, um, and I ended up seeing other simulations uh, that um, are happening, um, simulations around food shortages, um, Big Ag did that one in uh, 2019. Um, figuring out, maybe it was even earlier. Can't remember off the top of my head. But um, what would happen if we have food shortages, and how would uh, um, we prepare for that? So I, I got into other simulations as well, but um, I mainly looked um, for my presentation at um, the similarities that, um, or excuse me, the simulations um, that um, have been notable, notable viral pandemic. Simulation. So, um, I started with Dark Winter in 2001 and you'll see many of the same people. These are the same kind of um, intel connected people, um, biomedical industrial complex people. Um, so that was in 2001 and then we have uh, Lockstep and Lockstep definitely had some of those same people going on with same agendas. Um, and Lockstep was looking for quarantines, um, masks, uh, lockdowns, temperature checks. So this was back in 2010, and they're already trying to figure out what's going to happen if they actually use the word a coronavirus, or no, they used an influenza strain. That was their word. An influenza strain um, were to hit the economy. And um, so that was already mapped out, and it paved the way for others that we haven't even heard of, uh, or most people haven't. Clade X, which was uh, one Johns Hopkins did, that what happens if we have a bioterror attack, uh, from China. Then there was Crimson Contagion, and that one was really interesting because it very much presaged the COVID pandemic. And, um, who's really heard of Crimson Contagion? It wasn't, um, Crimson Contagion, sorry. It was not in hardly any news. It was hardly covered. It was a simulation that took place over eight months in 2019. So this is the year running up to COVID-2020. So it was conducted by Health and Human Services in collaboration with, excuse me, in collaboration with um, Homeland Security and FEMA. And um, what that one was is a virus outbreak in China spreads to returning americans and within two months half a million people die so that was what they were role-playing game-playing trying to figure out this dangerous respiratory outbreak virus from china happens a mere year before covid so you can see it's like is is are these people psychic and they know what they want to kind of plan for and the level of participation on this one far more than others some of them are just reports other simulations are tabletop exercises, people in a room, uh, role-playing and imagining. And others are far more preparatory um, where they're actually going uh, through a more um, in-depth role-playing as opposed to just sort of talking through uh, self-acted scripts. Um, for uh, Crimson Contagion, they had it, – it's amazing – they had 12 states, 15 tribal nations – 74 local health departments, 87 hospitals, over 100 public and private health care partners, and 19 federal departments. So everyone from the Department of Defense, Energy, uh, Interior, Justice, Labor, State, Transportation, Treasury, and the Interior, all of these people were participating in this. It's like, oh, my God. And they found out that – our supply chains were weak because we were dependent on China, and um, the, um, the U.S. was not prepared for a pandemic, a major pandemic. But why did nobody talk? So they have the, this one was a particularly big simulation, lots of people involved, and the news didn't cover it. When COVID came out, did everyone have a case of amnesia or had they signed NDAs? What was going on? And so I, um, my sister Colleen helped me uh, prepare this presentation. And um, what we realized or came to the conclusion of what we thought happened is that these exercises are supposedly meant to prepare um, large numbers of the governance class, uh, people who are going to have to step up and respond, to prepare them for a pandemic um, but what it really was, we think the ulterior motive, since none of nothing came out from it really to help us for COVID, that it was really to gaslight these participants to view the COVID pandemic as if it were an actual pandemic, queuing them up to take uh, orders from headquarters and be 100 percent on board because they had, quote, they just lived it they had spent time doing exactly what covid was is this yet, real world were, or
0: exercise
1: precisely <laughs> yeah. and they they are brainwashed in a sense um, of having role played that um it has to be real world because so many millions that they were they were saying 2.2 million or something people are going to die in the us from covid and they had just exercised um this simulation with half a million dying so they knew how urgent it was so all of these um Role playing exercises, um, the finally uh, leading up to Event Two Hundred One in October um, Twenty Nineteen, just right before, they all uh, to a T um, play out what we actually see happen, and there's similarities um, of what happened to, in each of them. You see a um, the, the scripts expand; they get more precise. So um, when I started looking at Polygon. Um, I realized that there were 3 of these role playing exercises and it's presented by the World Economic Forum um they started in 2019 and it was just kind of so-so but last year's was really robust um it was incredible because um they had over um 5 million viewers um from around uh, the the world in, in 57 countries, they, this was. It, they have two tracks for these polygon um, simulations. One track is the speakers, sort of like the software, the propaganda, the programming to get everybody on board, and the other track, simultaneous, is um, technical training. For corporations, can um, send their uh, guys there, their technical teams, and it, it's mostly for. Corporate IT uh, cybersecurity teams, so that they can um, get some experience in what would they do if there was a real live cyber attack, and also be able to learn how to um, pre crime uh, cyber sleuth and do intel and what can we, how can we be aware of who might be hacking in? But the um, conferences with the speakers um, last year, they had. 16 um, experts and there were 5 million viewers from 57 countries so they're really talking a lot about this and and this these are just small time players the key speakers was the russian prime minister and i think his name's Mashustin, um klaus schwab tony blair and the CEO of um, SpurBank, which is Russia's bank, that was a major player in this. So uh, these are not small potato people. This is a really b- big companies are participating. Lots of industries. You've got um, banking and technology are highly presented at the polycoms. Um, telecom companies, energy, healthcare, universities, NGOs, law enforcement. Um, Interpol has been um, at both of them. So this next one is coming up. And uh, what's in store for us? Gosh, who knows?
0: Very very interesting stuff. Do you think that that cyber attack uh, from these rogue actors who were uh, doing blackmail, you know, planting mal- malware, that uh, you had to pay them off to get them to take out the malware, and that was blamed for shutting off a lot of energy in the southeastern part of the United States, and there were long lines at the pump? and there was a concern that the energy sector was going down in, in some of these regions over a cyber attack. Uh, do you think that that, was just happened, what, a couple of months ago, and it's gotten a fair amount of attention from these usual suspects, might this have actually been deliberately staged in order to create the buzz uh, for this cyber polygon thing?
1: Well, that's exactly it. We've seen a bunch of these, and they're – I think they're going to be coming more fast and furious. Um, I I can get to that later about what I think their uh, real agenda is. But um, it's very interesting how they are now looking at cyber attacks. The the cyber polygon simulation in 2020 wasn't really looking at a cyber attack to take down supply chains. It was just looking at um, an attack and they invade in your system and they can get secrets or money or whatever but this year, the July 9th um, cyber polygon is going to directly do um, um, exercises around cyber attacks. So it's like, you know, when when they say this is what we're looking at, your ears have to perk up and pay attention because often what they say is what happens. A lot of what happened in 2020 was um, directly, some of that has actually played out. So the cyber attacks, Yes. And I think they will be coming more. Um, the Solar Winds one was actually um, a um, direct result of uh, Cyber Polygon 2020. Solar Winds um, was a spy attack that happened um, in this year, February to June of 2021, a mere six months after um, Polygon 2020, and that was a spy attack on corporate and government systems to get information. It sensitive information, but that one happened mere six months later. So might this one happen live real time this July, or could it be six months later, two years later, or maybe not at all? You know maybe they're just uh, waiting for down the future road, but they're really focusing on cyber attacks. Um, in 2019, the Carnegie Endowment, which is a really uh, big deal uh, uh, think tank i hadn't really heard of them but they're rated number 1 think tank um several years in a row and actually the president of carnegie endowment was appointed in march to be director of the cia so these people aren't nothing to um to laugh at they they're definitely connected in, and in 2019 they got uh, really worried that the banking system was not safety enough in terms of uh, cybersecurity attacks. And so they spent about a year uh, gathering the, the biggest heads from all over. They had access to everybody, World Bank, IMF, all the largest banks in the world, the Federal Reserves, all uh, were consulted by them. And in collaboration with the World Economic Forum, they um, put out a report that was basically a... Um, a warning of the banking system is going to come down by a cyber attack. It's extremely vulnerable right now. So was that like PR <laughs> we're waiting for it? Because what they found out was that, um, every, everybody knows that, um, the banks are on their last leg. They're like being put together at this point with duct tape or something. And it's almost like, how are we going to put the final, uh, um, hammer in the coffin on the banking system they really want to get rid of it and so uh, so that they can um, introduce this whole new um, uh, digital cre- social credit system like like the chinese have and so on the one hand they're very alarmed that the global financial system is at great risk from cyber attacks but at the same time they're speaking in forked tongues um the, the system is very um, vulnerable to these tax, but at the same time, they're also saying in this report that um, our current fiat currency system is just not sustainable, and we have to move on to new systems. So it's like um, if you really cared about the current system to, to make it sustainable and keep it, then, of course, you would want robust uh, cybersecurity, but I'm feeling like this robust cybersecurity is actually um, connected more to the results of if an attack occurred, took down the global system, what cybersecurity and other measures would they then need? And so they've actually uh, talked about how once the monetary system is crashed by cybersecurity attack, um, it would allow them then to jumpstart this whole new economic system and what as part of the security of that when they are suggesting role-playing. Make sure that uh, you eliminate any black markets. In other words, shut down any kind of alternatives that might rise up while you're transitioning to this new government. And they also said that they have to make sure that um, – Central banks and the elites escape blame and punishment for their decades of obscene corruption, rampant pillaging, and criminal activity. Of course, they didn't say it like that, but it's sort of like that. Um, I hop and lie hop. Are they going to let it happen on purpose, or it just sort of happens on purpose, and they act like they're getting prepared? But it's almost like, well, are they going to be doing um, a, a gladio 3.0? The whole false flags were Gladio 2.0. And and this looks very much all these um, cyber attacks are basically forms, potential forms of false flags because they always blame, blame them on either uh, uh, hackers uh, in um, hoodies or more likely uh, the Chinese or Russians, sometimes outright. Maybe Iranians. Uh, they, Don't
0: forget the Iranians.
1: Um, You know what, in my research in the simulations, none of them were Iranian criminals, and I I haven't really seen that. It's really China and Russia, which I've got to tell you what is so bizarre. All of these uh, um, attacks, let me see which ones um, were – um, the, the Russian one um, was the solar winds and uh, Russian intelligence was blamed. It wasn't even Russian criminals or Chinese criminals. And Biden even threatened Russia with sanctions for this. So what's really bizarre if Russia, who's nominally our big enemy anyway, not to mention Russian um, criminals, which they say might actually be Russian intelligence, which would be the Russian government, if they really are behind this, well, then, what is going on where the past two cyber polygons, this is the World Economic Forum, they're all coming together, who organized it? The Russians. This is what is so weird. The past one and the one before, Spurbank, I think that's how they pronounce it, S-B-E-R, Spurbank, that's Russia's state bank. The biggest um, stockholder in Spurbank is the Russian government. They are the main organizer. Now, the bigger front face where all of the propaganda is coming out of is um, the World Economic Forum. But r- Russia is really um, the one behind it and um, their cybersecurity subdivision, the bank cybersecurity subdivision. Is called BiZone. B i dot z o n e, all caps. They plan, prepared, and are part of all the simulation technical training exercises. So that is pretty bizarre that they're that deeply involved. They're they're that deeply involved that both the two last year, the Prime Minister of Russia gave the opening address and the opening welcome, and the official. Cyber Polygon website is in English and Russian. Um, so, is this just a facade? Um, Russia is sort of all in with the whole COVID thing and, and including lot, much of the Great Reset. So, are they just uh, tasked to play the world, the, the, the world's enemy, as uh, their little role in this? Because what this gives them is direct insight in in being they 're the attackers in these simulations, and all these corporate teams are trying to defend themselves against an attack and they are very elaborate simulations that go into code um, very technical and so all of these um, elaborate simulations for the technical training was um, devised by Russian teams, and then the um, the actual technical players are presumably using their own company systems in some way but what it gives russia is incredible insight into the cyber uh, digital vulnerabilities of major leading global banks technical institutions because they're interacting with them well how come you weren't able to stop this oh you don't have that patch Ha! you know maybe they won't get the patch for six months down the road so it's just really interesting Russia's role in this when there's so much other involvement from the West and two other participants or lack thereof that were that also were very interesting in cyber polygon um, in both 2019 and 2020 is China didn't seem to participate at all I didn't see it in any list of the banks that participated or any organizations and yet they're the role model for the digital uh, social control system that they want to roll out. So why wasn't China there? Maybe because they're already up and running and doing it and they don't need the training help or the propagandizing that get with this program. But the other participant that was not there at all that I couldn't see was Israel. Um, so given that um, Israel is has worldwide industry dominance over the development, maintenance, and sales of cybersecurity and surveillance software, you would think they would be leading the technical teams, devising it, and be deeply involved. So um, there was one Israeli bank who was a participant, but uh, uh, virtually no um, connection. Israel had no connection. But here's what I wonder is – all of the technical team that was doing this are all Russian. And might they be Israeli Russians? And maybe that's where the Israeli connection is. Because I was looking at the prime minister. Um, Mish, Mish, oh, I can never pronounce his name. I feel like an idiot. I should be able to. Mishushen. Oh, mishustin That's his name. The prime minister. He was just fairly recently appointed Prime Minister. And he was sort of like, um, and, and it was by an executive um, appointment from um, Putin. Why would you do an, an executive order? Why would you need an executive order by the president himself? And when I looked at his background, um, he, um, he is Jewish, he has no experience, he, he did almost nothing. Um, so might he also be an Israeli angle into the Russian domination? of um, these extremely important simulations they're doing for things that are going to be – they're planning to roll out, and here's the simulation that um, leads up to it. Because what the game plan is is a cyber attack happens, uh, lights go out, everything falls down, and when the lights come on, voila, uh, that has given them the opportunity to um, install, put the initial groundwork – it's probably not going to be completely in its Finished phase, but um, because of the pandemic uh, chaos that will result when um, the system crashes that 's the uh, perfect time to put the nail in the coffin on fiat currency and install a brand new not just monetary system but the whole social credit system that they need for this brave
0: new world order So, so what is this new system uh, the The notion of social credit usually, uh, as I understand the Chinese version of it. Social credit is not an economic system. Uh, The economic system is still running on yuan, right? So, so what is the new economic system? What's the difference between it and current economic systems?
1: Well, it's very tied to um, the deployment of the fourth industrial revolution and to uh, digital identity. Um, passport, or, or just you're you're completely um, the totality of who you are is encapsulated in a digital identity. So that would perforce include all of your financial uh, transactions, ATM, your credit cards, anything e-commerce, all banking, brokerage, uh, cryptocurrency. That's all connected. Um so you really can't have just a, a plain old digital system they're moving everything into a blockchain uh system where everything is essentially one uh glorified database on steroids that's in the cloud and they can't do their new system without completely undermining our current economic economic system for this universal digital identity and social credit system because the 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 money they don't want us they they don't want free independent agents we saw that we know that they've always not wanted that money fiat currency gives us the opportunity to have agency to uh, be able to have um, our own businesses work for who we want but if there's only a social credit system. It's like, um, Catherine Austin Fitz describes it as the company store. You, there, there might be bartering, black market bartering, whatever, um, that will probably always exist outside the system. Who knows how much they can crush that. But the entire economic system will be based on these social credits that you and I won't necessarily have because we're not running the show. And that would mean if, If you're good, um, if you don't post negative, dissident things on uh, the social media, if you don't litter, um, whatever you do, they're going to be able to track it and directly tie it to your monetary, um, um, your your ability to have transactions. Um, And they can't really do that to the robust extent that they want um, based on the old uh, financial system. Now, I don't know about China's financial system, but the, um, the West's financial system is, uh, being put together. It's, it's being held up by duct tape at this point because that was one of the reasons that the COVID pandemic, um, had to be ushered in because about six months before in September 2019, the repo market, um, which has to do with banks giving each other loans and it, it was going to crash and cause the global world down, worldwide uh, financial takedown, and they couldn't do that, and they were propping it up every month with several billion dollars. Um, I, I believe the Federal Reserve banks were doing that just to keep the regular banks afloat um, until something came along that just saved them, and that something was definitely COVID, which allowed the focus to be put elsewhere, and um, that's when um, uh, Larry Fink of BlackRock was put at the head of, um, the U.S. Treasury and the Federal Reserve basically as an asset manager because they are the asset managers of the world. And he was given the keys to the kingdom basically to creatively disrupt, um, the banking system. Um, they were able to steal at least 21 trillion out of the system. And so, um, it, it, they knew that the, even the current system, it just does not have the robustness in place um, to be able to do all of these future changes that they want that really need to be on a blockchain system. If you're going to go there, just get rid of what we currently have and turn it into a human monitoring. They want to be able to monetize our behavior, our health, and our labor. And this, this is beyond banks and banking.
0: Okay, so – I'm I'm a little confused about sort of the nuts and bolts about how this works and how this new blockchain system would be different from what we have now. You know, today if you want to have any kind of economic transactions, you have to uh, like if you go to you get a PayPal account, your social security number becomes your digital identifier. And if, you know, if you start a business, you can use your social security number or you can start a corporation that has a corporate tax ID number. And that becomes the digital identifier. And you operate economically, you know, using your digital identifier uh wherever you go. And then you could, of course, do black market and, you know, away from that. So, uh, they already can cut you off. There are lots and lots of people who have been deplatformed from PayPal and credit card services, uh, because the banks were pressured by whoever the, uh, you know, the usual suspects, uh, the anti-defamation league. Uh, I think American Free Press, where I write, had that problem at one point. They got deplatformed by credit card companies. So it, this already can happen. It's not, particularly hard for uh, various pressure groups and powerful people to get people to some extent deplatformed from the economy. And they already have the digital identifiers. It's not, it's not that hard to track people and find out, okay, they're using this credit card provider. They're having these, uh, they're paying somebody to have a website and so on and so forth. So I'm not sure how this actually really connects with the economic or monetary system in the sense of the fiat currency that is issued by banks that have the right to create it out of nothing as uh, essentially, you know, bits on a computer screen that are transferred into the uh, computer screens of the subsidiary banks, which then loan it in circulation and it gets transferred from person to person. How would this new system actually differ? What What is it about it? that would bring in social credit. I mean, they could have social credit now very, very easily. I mean, you know, you do you, to a certain extent already, but there's no reason why you would need a, a new monetary system to have social credit.
1: It's just not robust enough to do well, it. What does
0: robust mean? You keep using yes. that word, but I don't have the faintest idea what that means.
1: Okay. Um, for example, um, the economic system is not tied to your medical. So that's your actual health. If they were to have a digital identity system, it would not just have the economics there, and you're right, they can still, they have a lot of uh, power. We've seen it with the economics. They want it all tied in as one so that they can monitor your health and your locations. The um, economic or the banking system is not tied into uh, your GPS and, um, digital location so that they can do geofencing. If they could get a universal digital identity, they would have complete control. Right now, it's just, um, economic cut you off, uh, cut off your PayPal. They are going after far more, um, control than just your money. And so what that is going to entail is to be able to monetize, um, they don't. They don't need us to have money. They are going to allow us to have social credits to use tokens to buy things. This is their game plan. This doesn't have to happen. But what they, do, are do they, they saying, say? This
0: on, on like at, yes. at the at the Polycon website.
1: Not at, no, not at that one. Uh, that's just their exercises. This is all of the talking that's going on um, at World Economic Forum in terms of the fourth industrial revolution, um, which goes beyond the need to have the monetary systems in shape um, and the digital identity. Um, the World Economic Forum website um, – is there a lot of information there, but it's all told in, um, it's all said in sparkly language. Everything's going to be sustainable and equitable and Green New Deals. And it's hard for novices to understand that that is just the happy face of this dystopia in the making. So let me try to give you an example of why, if they're going to do this, they want one big database and blockchain essentially, is a ledger system that um, is encrypted, it's permanent, um, and it can get everybody on. um, Everything goes into blockchain, so it becomes almost like, well, they call it a a digital twin. You're going to have your digital identity, and that's your twin of who you really are, so it's everything about you. It could be your your lease to your home, um, your insurance, your birth certificate, all of this is you, so that gives them far more power than just having access to your bank, um, banking information. So, for example. So, so it's sort of like a
0: super social security number. It follows you with uh, everywhere, yes. everything you do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, because just having the money angle isn't enough. So, let me try to come up with an example right now of why it's so important that they integrate especially the bio version because they want to have biosensors to be able to track you. So whether um, you have actually um, a, a – it's on your phone or who knows, they chip you or you have a wearable, all of that has to connect to – in cyberspace to the cloud, you become – you interface with the cloud all of your experiences, credentials, and documents. And so that is, that that's, the totality of who you are becomes digitalized so that then they can go to the next step of this brave new world, the fourth uh, industrial revolution of some of the things that they want to do, new areas that they want to go. And what they want to do is monetize um, human behavior, health, and labor. So what would that possibly look like? So, for human behavior, uh, for example, um, prisons. Let's think in terms of recidiv- recid- uh, recidivism. Um, so the government might be a, might be trying to have programs to track how many um, inmates end up back in prison. So. You get nonprofits. It, it, a lot of this comes through the nonprofits. They're like the tip of the spear. Um, healthcare authorities, um, education. A lot of this is going to be um, um, tapping into our children um, to feed the blockchain um, and feed these um, hedge funds who are going to be making their new bets not on what a stock does or even what the environments do. Um, the, the climate um, or waging on pork bellies, um, that the weather might affect uh, hogs, um, where the new hedge funds are going is being able to track uh, human behavior. So, it, so they fund themselves. It looks like front-facing nonprofits. And this is just a, a minute example that I'm coming up with Right now is that they would set up a nonprofit that looks really good and trusting to the public, uh, like this is good and social and helping people. So let's say there's one to help uh, pr- prisoners, inmates to not have to go back into prison. So um, they would set up, um, all different kinds of metrics of um, you have to not do drugs, you have to do this. So all this human behavior, you can't be around um, uh, former people who uh, might get you back in trouble. And so then, um, whether that works or not, and really it's set up to never work because you constantly want to have uh, people be oppressed in poverty and sick. That's kind of what they need, that, to have the human population be weak, sick, oppressed, so they still have um, some who will end up going back into prison, for example, and some who won't. And the uh, metrics are, well, we need X amount who will not go back in. And if we meet that mark, well, then you as the um, nonprofit, you get this much bonus for having done this program because the um, society is sta- saved this much by uh, people not having to go back into prison. So that's not where the real money is the real money is higher at the financier class who is going to wage bets on uh like a grand casino um did they meet their mark or no some people will short that um some hedge funds will uh go long on it and uh be able to base their fund base their um uh their uh, how how they make their own funds Based on human behavior and to have that human behavior really work in a strong way, you want to be able to not just look at, uh, well, were they, um, how did they spend their money and track on their credit card? You want to be able to track their biology and their and their geofencing. You, we wanted, did they go beyond this neighborhood? Um, and so they would have to form a, um, glorified, um, with ankle bracelets, but ones that are probably more chipped or based on your phone so that they can um, really control human behavior and where we get to work. Uh, here's another example of what they want to do and why it transcends um, just the monetary system. If they've set it up right through blockchain and through all these bio kind of hacking things—not hacking—artificial intelligence, haptic robotics will be very big. Internet of things, bodies of things. Through all of that, you can um, see that they will. Um, they're envisioning um, workers in the Philippines. Being able to clean hotel rooms in New York through haptic robotic interactions, so you're not going to get a paycheck for that. You'll get social credit, so that now um, that pays your landlord. Everything's going to be paid on social well, credit. Well, but, that, but,
0: but that's just another word for monetary. I mean, it's, it's that's just semantic. The distinction, isn't it?
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, today, to if
0: you're working in the Philippines and you're doing, you know, you're like answering the phone for Apple or whoever. Uh, then you're paid from Apple headquarters in Silicon Valley. You're paid by PayPal credit or whatever, Some basically just bits on the Internet. So what's the difference between that and what you're talking about?
1: Because let's say you're paid with cash. You can go and do anything you want. But if you're paid with social credit, they can very much determine – what you get to buy, where you get to buy it, when you get to buy it. And, um, oh, sorry, you don't get to do that work Wait, wait, wait. So, so, because... so why,
0: why is that? though? In other words, it's all just digital bits anyway. Like, obviously, you can't pay a worker in India or the Philippines who's answering your phones in cash. So you, you pay them through PayPal or some uh, form of wire transfer of currency, which then they can just spend on whatever they want to spend. So... How is this different if, if you're calling your currency social credit?
1: Um, because in part, it can be very much tied to your body. If they see that you are ill, um, and how, how else would they know this? They want to be able to tap into your biology to know um, maybe you won't get paid as much because you are not as healthy as the worker next to you. It's completely integrated into our health. It's hard to believe. It's very hard to imagine what, how they're going to do this. And, um, that's why I've highly recommended that people study the work of Allison McDowell. She's one of the very few people in the world who is looking at what they're actually doing right now, setting these programs up and going beyond the face, um, value um, acceptance of what they say, how good it is, and w- how they're really going to make it a prison planet for us that is beyond just uh, controlling our uh, monetary freedom, but using it to uh, define um, our thoughts and our, our behavior because um, it's, they have much more um, incredible um, insight into our, into our bodies and um, what we can do into our movements. And so it's it sounds really bizarre, and I'll I'll just be honest. I am not the best speaker for this, and this was one of the things that I have um, said is that how are we going to learn this new language? The the very words, Internet of Bodies. Well, why do we need that? Can our current economic system interface with Internet of Bodies? No. Well, what is Internet of Bodies? And why couldn't any kind of digital economic system that we have now interface perfectly with that? Well, it can't. I don't know those exact details, but I know it can't. For the fourth industrial revolution, if they don't have the social credit system tied to the digital identity, it's just not going to work because they're going to be using nanotechnology, um, augmented and virtual reality. Um, the Internet of Things connects to the Internet of Bodies, and it's all going to be on a spatial web where you need your digital twin to be able to participate in society, in, in our society. And they have the controls to all that if we decide that we're going to go along, and we don't want to, but most people. Our uh, fourth generation uh, mind control weaponry is being used on so many people right now. And we saw that with COVID. But what I compared it to or what others have compared it to is um, when uh, the conquistadors came to the new world, many indigenous peoples could not fathom this group of people who were bringing guns and God and germs and um, rapacious agendas, they, they really couldn't fathom it. And so they were in many ways um, um, out, outgunned literally, but also um, ideologically ontologically and because they couldn't, it just didn't make sense to them. And that's kind of what's happening to us right now is this, Um, It's basically like a uh, settler colony, um, settler colonial financier class is occupying us actually at the cellular level through their nanobiotechnology is where they're taking this. And most people can't conceive of it because not only are they using whole new vocabularies that don't make sense. I know what Internet is. I know what bodies is. But what's Internet of Bodies so beyond just the vocabularies that don't make sense, conceptually, it's kind of beyond our ken. And it's very hard for people to understand what we're moving into. And so just as you're learning a foreign language, the best way to learn it is just immersion. You just get in it, and you can't talk English. You just can only talk Spanish 24-7, and that's the best way to learn.
0: Hmm. It I sounds found... to me like some of these people are talking bullshit 24-7. But uh...
1: Well, I'd just like to make a final point with the language, is that I found that um, because it's so hard to understand this, it's very abstruse, that I've listened to about um, 10 or 20 of um, Al, this researcher, this intrepid researcher, Alison McDowell, listened to her, um, her videos so that these concepts, these new concepts like social impact investing, what does social impact investing even mean?
0: It's a buzzword to raise money for your nonprofit, obviously.
1: Uh, no, social impact investing is where your investments are made on a social level with people, and you see how they are impacted, and then based on that impact of those social, the social impact of them, then you invest on that, and you can make uh, money on investing on that.
0: Right, so but, when, but then of then course, that's largely just bullshit. I mean, that's just it's the, they're happy buzzwords to essentially sell, sell your nonprofit to get donations from rich people. That's all. That's what they really are. If you boil it right well, they, down, they they very
1: much are gaslighting nonprofits into being the tip of the spear for this, using all of the happy language and between but from that Orwellian language. A lot of people do not understand what the real game is about. So um, yes, they can hoodwink them, but what has to be understood, and that's why what that's why they're successfully moving towards this because most people can't understand what's really happening and to just blow it off and say, oh, they're just, um, you know, bloviating and boasting um, that they're doing it. It's all a ploy. Not really. It's actually happening in many ways right now. Well, There's, uh, what if
0: it's kind of a smokescreen for, I mean, you know, may, maybe some of the happy science fiction talk is just a smokescreen for the reality that social discipline is being greatly intensified, tracking and surveillance is being intensified, but I would think all of this is not so much preparation for a utopian future run by these uh bankster overlords, uh, but it's it's more of a preparation to discipline the Western population to fight World War III against the Eurasian, you know, Russia, China, Iran axis. I would move this whole thing back into geopolitics. And yeah, you noted some interesting contradictions with Russia participating in this. But, you know, they, in geopolitics, the op- warring sides still trade with each other and penetrate each other and try to get intelligence on each other. So that's how I would look at this. I would say the West Western overlords think that their culture isn't disciplined enough right now to win the world war that they need to stay on top. And so they're going to try to introduce new discipline into Western culture. And that explains so much of what they've done from 9-11 to get everybody marching in lockstep against one enemy. And then they uh, they put in Obama to put the, the left back to sleep. The left is always the anti-war side. And now they've done, they've put the left even more to sleep with COVID and turned the left into a bunch of marching zombies saluting and taking orders. That's what they need to fight World War III. That's what I think is going on.
1: I don't disagree with a single thing you said, Kevin. That's exactly where we've seen them going all this time. What I'm saying is that that's kind of level one and there's multiple levels on top of that, um, that they call the spatial web and, the things that they're planning are beyond our ken really to understand of what they are implementing beyond what you said, um, of how they're going to control the planet even more. It, it's, it's very hard for us to understand. That's why you're so, um, um, denouncing of it because with all due respect, I, I don't think you really understand exactly how it's going to play out. I barely do either because it involves fintech, financial and technology coming together with biology. All of those come together for a whole new world order that is not what you described is um, sort of like on steroids, the same old, same old. We know that they've done that. This is a level. What they're going after is control of all of life, such that everything, all life on earth, not just humans everything is going to be tracked and controlled everything from the last tree to the last coffee bean this is what they plan to do and we'd like to think well it's too big they're not going to do it and the humans will stop this they're actually doing it right now i think we can stop that stop it but if we don't understand exactly what they're doing and what you've described is is not what they're doing yes they're doing that but what what is it, it's sort of like the omission you're not taking it to the next level because it's too hard to fathom what it actually looks like this spatial web and digital identity and what they have in mind and they're actually doing it right now but we we can't even see it in front of us because the people who they have implementing it are the trusted people our educators our health workers um, non-profits they're yeah. moving toward this the, the locking it down and if, until we understand exactly what's going on we're just going to continue to think it's a, an uglier version of what we've, we're already doing interesting and well maybe I need to invite
0: that. David Jacobs back on to talk about the the alien invasion because it almost sounds like something like that but it's well, we're at I the end of the show Cat. thank you so much I'll, I'll put up the links at the radio blog people can get there by truthjihad.com click on the radio special link and check to out listen the links Radio. see you next week radio.